All right, everybody, we've made it to Wednesday. It is Wednesday, August 9th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, you're here. I'm here. Neither of us won $1.55 billion. <laughs> like a crazy person, I made my husband go to um, a specific 7-Eleven mm-hmm. to buy tickets yesterday. Uh, but I guess it didn't work. <laughs> After all that. What was so special about the 7-Eleven? So my son is a 7-Eleven baby. Oh, born on July 11th. Okay. Yes. And um, it is a 7-Eleven that is close to the hospital where he was born. All right. Well, you should keep trying. <laughs> we'll get him next time. All right. Let's get to some headlines here. An update on the big vote in Ohio that could have huge ramifications for abortion rights in the state. Have you ever looked around and wondered how everyone can afford to do pretty much everything? Those European vacations, going to the Taylor Swift concert for $1,000 a ticket, and just pretty much exist these days. Well, Americans' credit card debt just hit a record high of more than $1 trillion. We're going to break down the numbers. The Supreme Court has ruled that the government can continue to crack down on ghost guns, at least for now. Apple is making a big change on its newest iPhone that some say is going to lead to some awkward phone conversations. The unexpected site of a new Holocaust museum. And the reason 40% of business leaders think that Gen Z not ready for the workforce. Plus, Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, we'll take you back to the building of the Tower of Pisa and how soon they already knew it was leaning. <laughs> All right, we're going to start here with some big news out of Ohio. This was the big vote we told you about yesterday, and residents of the state on Tuesday overwhelmingly voted and rejected a state constitutional amendment that would have made it harder to pass future state constitutional amendments. This was a measure called Issue 1. If it passed, all citizen-led measures in the future would have needed to clear a 60% threshold, 6 out of 10 Ohioans, to become law, as opposed to the 50% threshold that currently exists, the simple majority. Well, Ohioans said, no thanks uh, to that. We like our ability to pass things by a simple majority. They also wanted to ensure it's easy to get things on the ballot. So the defeat of issue one here keeps in place a simple majority for passing future constitutional amendments. This is going to be big in the fall. We'll tell you about that in a second. For context here, in the more than 100 years Ohio has had the power to propose and vote on ballot initiatives, only about a third of constitutional amendments exceeded 60%. So this would have really severely limited the ability for citizens to pass things to change the law there, and it went down to defeat. Proponents of issue one, mainly Republicans in the state legislature and the Republican governor, argue that it's meant to keep controversial policies out of the Constitution and reserve it for these states' fundamental rights and values So basically, they don't want it to be easy to change laws, and they claim that this would limit the reach of outside groups. Critics, on the other hand, and that includes Democrats and all former living Ohio governors, two Republicans and two Democrats, they say that issue one is a power grab that would have hamstrung the rights of citizens to place an issue on the ballot. Now, this fight was seen as a proxy battle ahead of this November's elections, where there is already a proposal to codify abortion rights in the state constitution 
that is up for a vote. Anti-abortion groups pushed issue one as a way to kneecap that push for abortion protections out of the starting gate. And they have been joined by religious groups and gun rights groups who are concerned that the 50 percent threshold could mean a gun control referendum as well. Meanwhile, pro-abortion rights groups viewed the fight as critical to preserving their pathway to victory this fall. So this now means that the abortion rights measure in November will require 50 percent plus one of the vote, um, as has been the case uh, previously. Right now, polling in Ohio shows that uh, popularity of that measure in the mid 50s, uh, upper 50s, actually, but not quite close to the 60 percent threshold that they're hoping to change it to. So that means that at least preliminarily, it appears that Ohio in November will vote to codify abortion rights. Now, there is still uh, several months between now and then, and we'll see how that goes. You know, what's notable here uh, is Ohio Republicans, uh, at least the ones in the legislature who were pushing this, watch what took place in Kansas last year as residents there voted to preserve their right to an abortion despite the Republican legislature. And that's where these citizen ballot initiatives are coming at loggerheads, where states, because of gerrymandering, you're seeing these overwhelming one-party uh, rule in some states, super majorities in other cases. Uh, and so that's why you saw this oomph for issue one, the feeling from the legislative body that they could be overwhelmed by the citizens where they take specific issues directly for a vote. So this would have increased the 60% threshold. It also would have required signatures from all 88 Ohio counties instead of 44. Uh, one thing that was thrown out to a lot of voters, Jill, that I think made sense to uh, voters there, they compared it to a football game, Ohio State, Michigan. And what they were saying was that if this passed, it would be like, and we're speaking in Ohio terms here, uh, Ohio State scoring 59 points, Michigan scoring 41 points, but Michigan being declared the victor of the game because Ohio State didn't score 60. And so that was one of the arguments that clearly here was effective and explained to people what that 60% threshold would have done. Except in Ohio, they probably just say that team up north instead of calling them Michigan, as my husband does. Yes, yes. I'm speaking to a split household over there. You're, you're the <laughs> Michigan uh, person and your husband, of course, Ohio State. All right. Switching gears, Americans with credit card debt have just joined the Trillion Dollar Club. For the first time ever, Americans' credit card balances hit $1.03 trillion, up nearly 4.6%. That is according to some data just released by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. To be clear, we're not talking about a credit card balance. That's the amount that's currently owed to a credit card company. It is the remaining balance at the end of the billing cycle that's carried over to the next month, which incurs a higher interest charge. So most, we've got a lot of numbers here, and I know a lot of people may want to tune out, but they're kind of wild. So taking a look at how this breaks down, Americans have a record $17.1 trillion in household debt a record $12 trillion in mortgages, which is more than double the 2006 peak, a record $1.6 trillion in auto loans, a record $1.6 trillion in student loans, and a record $1 trillion, as we mentioned, in credit card debt. It's important to mention that this comes as interest rates have hit a 22-year high, making it more expensive to pay off that debt. For their part, credit card interest rates also wanted to hit a record most. They felt left out, so they're at 25%. Mortgage rates just hit 7.1%. And this is a stat that I thought was pretty crazy. More than one in three Americans have more credit card debt than savings. 
And timing is everything. It comes as student loan payments are set to resume in October for the first time since 2020. One analyst from LendingTree telling CNN Business, unfortunately, it's only going up from here. What's driving it is inflation, higher interest rates, and just generally how expensive life is in 2023. Jill, I had to do a double take when I saw these numbers because we often talk about government debt, right? You know, we talk about the debt ceiling, the government in trillions and trillions, right? More than $30 trillion of debt. But this is consumers here, and those numbers are pretty remarkable. When you break it down to an individual level, as of a couple months ago, the average American carried about $5,700 in credit card debt as of June. When broken down by age, that changes. The group carrying the largest amount of debt, the 40 to 49 bracket, of which you and I are most familiar with, 40 to 49-year-olds hold $7,600 in credit card debt, the most of any group. That's followed by 50 to 64-year-olds. Gen Z has the smallest amount of debt, uh, just under $3,000. That's everyone under the age of 29. And so despite all these trend lines we tell you about, the labor market being strong, the economy growing, Wall Street having an incredible year, consumer spending increasing, which is important to the economy, but their spending appears to be putting them in further and further debt. With this persistently high inflation, still at about 3%, not quite the 9% we saw last year, but still higher than people would like. Prices are still going up. And this is way down on consumers, especially those who were not among the 14 million homeowners who refinanced during the pandemic with those record low interest rates. And so those folks did pretty well. You mentioned, Jill, the uh, mortgage rates hitting 7% now. So people looking for a home are paying that, which is putting them into further debt here. Looking at the numbers here, as we looked at the trend lines, what was interesting, Jill, is that if you look between the beginning of the pandemic and those first few months, Americans paid off nearly $200 billion in credit card debt um, as they got those checks from the government, uh, as people really kind of doubling down on savings, not spending in those initial days. But in the past two years, the spending has skyrocketed. Early on Tuesday, Bank of America reported that more people are tapping into their 401k accounts early because of this financial distress. The New York Fed researchers say things could get worse, as you mentioned, with the student loan repayments restarting this fall. They're set to resume in October following a three-year pause, and several of the measures Biden has been trying to push here uh, to try to alleviate student loan debt uh, have gone down to failure. Uh, they're being protested in court by various conservative groups. And so that's why what's interesting is that every time we report on you know positive economic news, at least these macro trends, you know, we'll get lots of messages, Jill, from people saying that, you know, they're not feeling it. They don't understand how the president can go out there and tout the economy, how Wall Street can tout the economy, how when they turn on CNBC, that all they hear is these positive things because they're feeling the pinch and, and these numbers really reinforce it. Moshe, it's the same thing uh, when we talk about inflation, that those numbers have finally started to settle down a bit, but people don't feel it. And that's because prices are still so high. Prices are not coming down. They're just not going up quite as fast as they were. And so just on that political front, when we talk about an election coming up, uh, Joe Biden and his team, they look at the economy, they look at the numbers and they think, great, but Americans don't see it. It's going to be a tough sell. To Americans, I think that the economy is doing really well right now. Yeah, I mean, when you add things up, like, for example, we talked about June numbers, right? June 2022, inflation was 9%, meaning prices were 9% higher than June 2021. So June 2023, inflation is down to 3%, but if prices are still 3% higher than June 2022, which means, translation here, June 2023 is 12% higher 
than they were in June 2021. So that all adds up, right? No prices are going down. It is very rare to see prices go down. They just are uh, moving up slower. But we're all feeling that pinch, and we're seeing it across the economy. Uh, and we're seeing it in core things, right? Like cars and homes and you know people finally going out and spending on vacations. And it appears that has meant that a lot of it is going on your Visa or your MasterCard, and you're looking to pay it off at a 25% interest rate. So as we talk about a potential recession here, let's hope that you know the Fed here can hold it off or not make it happen, uh, because uh, clearly folks have a, a lot of debt that they have to pay off. All right, we have a lot more to get to uh, in the podcast, but uh, first, I want to talk a bit about our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We talk a lot nearly every day about the importance of mental health uh, in the headlines, in our lives, uh, people facing major stresses, major decisions, uh, both professionally, personally. Well, talking to somebody about it, talking to a professional, can always help. There have been times, myself, where I've gone to see someone to work things out. Uh, I was initially nervous, but it really helped me get through some major blocks in my life, get clarity on things in my past, setting boundaries, getting a better grasp uh, for how I can move forward. And so we're glad to have BetterHelp as a sponsor here at Mo News. And they have right now uh, a special deal right now for the Mo News community. If you're thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist. You can also change therapists at no additional cost over time. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H, today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that is betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash mosh, M-O-S-H, for that 10% deal. And now let's get to one of our longtime sponsors. We have talked about how we only want to endorse things on this podcast that we really love. And Bowl and Branch Bedding and Sheets is one of those things. We have had them in my house for about six months, and we have been loving them. Bowl and Branch makes their sheets with organic cotton and avoids harsh chemicals that are common in other brands. They're really trying to change the standards for good, and we're on board with that. One thing we should mention, Bowl and Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They are breathable, so they are perfect for the heat during these really hot summer months. So let's get to the deal right now. They're offering a special deal to the Mo News community. You can get 15% off your first order. Just use the promo code MoNews at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code again, MoNews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Exclusions do apply, so make sure you see their site for details. Time now for the speed read from CBS News. Let's start with the legal battle over ghost guns. The Supreme Court gave a rare win to gun control groups and is allowing the ATF to enforce the Biden administration's ghost gun rules, at least for now. The court on Tuesday paused a lower court decision that invalidated the Biden administration's efforts to regulate so-called ghost guns. They are kits that can be bought online and assembled into untraceable homemade firearms. And this means that while the legal proceedings continue, the ATF can enforce those restrictions. President Biden has really tried to crack down on ghost guns as part of an effort to address gun violence. Administration officials say that ghost guns have soared in popularity in recent years, particularly among criminals who are barred from buying ordinary guns. Yeah, Jill, the numbers from the ATF are pretty remarkable. In 2021, they recovered 19,000 firearms uh, without serial numbers. That's compared to about 1,600 
in 2017. So just over four years, you're seeing nearly a uh, 15x growth in the number of ghost guns, and that number only continues to go up. So this new regulation that the Supreme Court is allowing for now doesn't ban the sale or possession of kits and components, but it does require manufacturers who make these ghost gun kits, per se, and sellers to obtain licenses, mark their products with serial numbers, and conduct background checks. Now, gun rights groups believe this regulation is unconstitutional, that they shouldn't have to go ahead and put serial numbers here or conduct background checks because they're not actually selling a gun. They're just selling various parts here. Now, what's interesting is the makeup of the court here with this decision. Uh, You had Chief Justice Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett, uh, two conservatives, join the three liberals in freezing a lower court ruling to allow this regulation to persist. You then had Clarence Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, the four other conservatives, say they would have denied the request. Now, given that this is a temporary measure, there was no explanation from the majority or the minority here. This measure first took effect back in August 2022. It updated the rules regarding the definition of a firearm under the Gun Control Act to address the proliferation of these ghost guns. And then you had a group of gun owners, advocacy groups, etc., sue saying that this law they believe is unlawful. So we're going to continue to monitor this case. But for now, the Biden administration can continue these regulations. From CNBC, Apple's iOS 17 will include one of the biggest revamps to the iPhone's phone app in years. The newly updated phone app included with that software update adds real-time voicemail transcriptions, contact posters, so users can choose the photo that shows up when they dial another person's iPhone, and an updated user interface with a bolder font But one tweak that's getting a lot of attention will require longtime iPhone users to retrain their muscle memory. In beta versions of iOS 17, Apple has moved the end call button. So it's now moved to the lower right-hand corner instead of centered in the bottom third of the screen. (laughs) Chill. The reaction here has been incredible. People are like, why are you going to get me fired, Apple? Uh, because it's not just the end call button that you'll have to pay attention to see whether you actually ended the call before you talk smack on whoever you were just speaking to on the phone. They're also moving the FaceTime button. They're moving the mute button. They're moving basically all the buttons. They're shifting all of them. Uh, It's unclear why. We'll uh, find out from Apple, hopefully, an explanation here. But many people are saying, it's not broken. Why are you changing it? Now, Apple will change stuff for ergonomic purposes But it's, again, easy to imagine, you know, all the muscle memory you have from where you once you finally figure out where those buttons are, which are not always intuitive on the iPhone, why they're changing this. Now, most people do not have iOS 17. It is in beta. They have a bunch of test users using it right now. So there is the shock that when this comes out in September, the buttons stay in the same place, uh, given that they'll be getting feedback on this. So that's just something to keep in mind. But it's out there. Clearly, they're trying to gauge reaction on this. Uh, And so far, Jill. The reaction has not been very kind. <laughs> I'm with the Mo News community. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Though, Jill, I will say those other changes I'm into the real-time voicemail transcription, so you can see what the person's yes. saying if they're actually leaving a voicemail. Uh, and the one thing we neglected to mention, also video voicemails uh, will allegedly be part of the new software as well. Now, uh, again, if they move the end call button or the FaceTime button, it will ensure that you just... You can't have that secret phone call from the bathroom. You need to be dressed appropriately (laughs) because now you might hit FaceTime by accident. 
sticking with tech news from TechCrunch, Amazon is looking to get a serious jump on the holidays, holding a Prime Day-like shopping event in the fall. The online retail giant had two Prime sales events in July and October in 2022. It was a big success, so they're doing it again. Amazon's calling the fall sales event Prime Big Deal Days, but they uh, didn't share which days they're actually going to be holding the sales event. So Prime Days are now coming almost as hot and heavy as indictments, impeachments, <laughs> <laughs> and unnecessary changes to the iPhone. So no firm dates here on which days in October we will yet be seeing more Prime Days. You can imagine that Walmart's probably seeing this and going to be holding some Walmart Plus Days. But clearly, you'll be able to start your Christmas shopping extra early. You know, forget Black Friday. You got Prime Day in October now. The announcement does come as Amazon saw record sales for Prime Day this year across both days of their recent event. Consumers in America spent $12.7 billion. Now that earlier story on credit card debt is starting to make a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Some data from Adobe Analytics. They say the figure represents 6% growth year over year, setting a new record for the event. More than 375 million items were purchased during the two-day sale. That's up from 300 million last year. And so they're going to be targeting people uh, ahead of the holidays. And while we're talking here about uh, business news, Jill, a headline struck me regarding the Bud Light Anheuser-Busch story we've been tracking. They announced on Monday they're going to be selling eight of their beer brands to a cannabis company called Tilray Brands. This is just one month after they had layoffs. This is all in that fallout over their uh, partnership with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney that saw a number of Americans start to boycott uh, Bud Light and then saw Americans who were advocates feel like Bud Light betrayed Dylan Mulvaney. Well, they have seen weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of uh, continued loss of sales here. Uh, They were once the number one beer of America. And when I say once earlier this year, they have lost that to Modelo. So now Anheuser-Busch is selling a number of its brands. You might recognize Shock Top, Blue Point, Red Hook, Uh, Among those, that'll be going to the cannabis company for an undisclosed amount in cash as Anheuser-Busch tries to reset here and deal with the continued fallout from the decision in the spring. From Axios, the world's next Holocaust museum being built inside of one of the planet's most popular video games, Fortnite. The virtual building is called the Voices of the Forgotten Museum. It will let players walk its halls and read plaques describing the genocide against Jews in Nazi Germany and see photos of Jewish resistance fighters and heroic individuals who sheltered Jews. While Fortnite is typically used as a cartoony, multiplayer, competitive shooting game, visitors to the museum will not be able to actually play Fortnite, the game, while they're inside the virtual museum. It was built over the course of a few weeks earlier this year. It just got approved for release last week by Fortnite publisher Epic. The game designer, Luke Bernard, saying, quote, I feel a responsibility to make sure those who died are still remembered. So the headline sounds good. What could go wrong, Jill? What could go wrong with a Holocaust museum inside a video game? But what is interesting, when you look at the numbers, I'm not a Fortnite player myself, but they count more than 200 million monthly players on the platform, which is, you know, pretty remarkable. The game designer says that physical Holocaust museums, while invaluable, have their limits. It's time to adapt and think about museums in these virtual spaces. He was quoted as saying, millions of dollars are being put into museums, which I believe are important, but we are ignoring most of the population across the world. He says more people can be reached by finding them where they are, and many of them have one foot in the world of virtual video games. 
So this is a third party designing it. Epic, the creator of Fortnite, was not involved in the museum's creation. Uh, Bernard says they won't be showing dead bodies or camps or things like that. So it remains to be seen what exactly this looks like. This is a bit of a change from some of the other pop culture crossovers and pop-ups they've had within the game. Uh, they've had one related to Spider-Man. Uh, one was a walking banana. This one, obviously, much more serious. Now, it appears they've learned some lessons here uh, from a previous experiment when trying to bring serious things into the game. Back in 2021, Epic had an event celebrating Martin Luther King, but the mood was undermined because attendees apparently in the game could do the floss dance in front of the um, event. And so in this museum, the player's abilities to dance in the virtual Holocaust Museum will be turned off. Though Jill, again, remains to be seen how much education can take place here. But, you know, we can all hold out hope. From the newsletter Insider Today, new grads in search of work. Be warned, some executives may want very little to do with you. <laughs> How's that for a happy graduation, Moshe? I just took tens of thousands of dollars in college loan debt. What? <laughs> A new survey of more than 1,200 business leaders found that 40% believe that recent Gen Z graduates are unprepared for the workplace, and those feelings are leaking into hiring decisions, as 94% of that subset say they've previously avoided hiring recent Gen Z college grads, at least to some degree. The survey, which was published by the student-focused magazine called Intelligent, isn't the first report of managers' difficulties with younger colleagues. Gen Z was labeled the most challenging generation to work with by nearly 75% of managers and business leaders that were polled by ResumeBuilder.com in April. Joe, this feels like when we were entering the workforce and, you know, the rap we got is millennials. So now Gen Z, welcome, congrats. We pass the baton to you. Uh, right now, Gen Z is generally defined as people born starting in 1997. So those of you who've entered the workforce, probably the first four or five years of you up till age 27 are the ones they're probably talking about here. And so Gen Z is becoming the latest punching bag. Some bosses even claim young workers won't do anything unless every second of their day is managed. Some of the criticism against Gen Z, lack of work ethic, entitlement are the type of broad generalizations we've seen about previous younger workers. But one of these issues appears to be more unique to Gen Z, communication. For many Gen Zers, their inability to properly communicate in the workplace is thanks largely to the pandemic. Because if you look at the years here, the vast majority, at least of this initial group of Gen Zers, have come into the workforce in the era of remote or uh, hybrid work. So they spent a good chunk of college, beginning of their careers in remote settings. And so now they're struggling in this nine to five office situation. So what's the fix? Some companies are already offering extra training for Gen Z recruits on everything from working in a team to giving a presentation in person. Universities also are trying to step up courses focused on what they call soft skills, including reminding students to pause after they introduce themselves to let the other person say their name. <laughs> no, apparently that is not a joke. That is being taught at some universities in this country. I also wonder if the fact that so many companies are remote or hybrid, if that plays a role at all. Because if you're a new graduate and you've never been in the workplace, I would think it would be so hard to not be in an office and just get that office culture, find a mentor. I, I think that it's that those younger workers who really miss out on everyone back to the office. There's you know some basic technological things there too, right? In terms of phone etiquette, uh, using the phone. I mean, the, the rap on Gen Z is that they just you know text message. Uh, they, they don't wanna pick up the phone. And then you have some things that are also unique to Gen Z, which is the kind of openness about mental health uh, and uh, you know taking a mental health day 
the sort of thing that, you know, I think even as we were coming up as millennials in the workforce, I would have never gone to my boss being like, I really need a mental health day. Uh, I would have been, you know, laughed out of the office. Uh, but in this day and age, as these issues have become embraced, you do see that. And so there is a perception among the bosses. These people aren't taking work seriously. They really want to have their cake and eat it too. Lifestyle is important to them when, you know, most of the boomers still in the workforce, the Gen Xers, the elder millennials are like, in my day, I would have never done that. <laughs> All right, now time for On This Day in History, your daily serving of nutritious history, historical information. <laughs> and <laughs> I like what you did there, Moshe. <laughs> and guess what? It's sponsored this week by Athletic Greens. We all know that's a place where you can get your nutrients as well. I first started using their AG1 powder last fall. It's easy, it's quick, it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins and minerals, pre and probiotics for your gut digestion and gut health. And they're offering a special deal right now, AG1 is for the Monus community, which we'll get to in just a second after we fill you in on a bit of history. And Jill, as promised, we're gonna begin in the year 1173, 850 years ago in Pisa, Italy, construction would begin on a bell tower that would eventually be known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So they begin construction in the year 1173. Five years later, in 1178, as they're working on the second floor, they realize something has gone horribly wrong. The tower was already beginning to lean to the south. The soil underneath the tower was soft and unstable. Again, they're on the second story here. Too shallow to keep it straight. Well, over the course of 100 years, Pisa is involved in a series of wars. And so they're on again, off again construction. They stop, they go, they stop, they go. Well, over those 100 years, the soil settles a bit and the tower appears to lean a bit less. So they resume work in the 1200s. And so to compensate for the tilt, they start to build the remaining floors with one side slightly higher than the other. As a result, the tower not only leans, it curves. The tower is finally completed in the year 1372, 200 years to build the leaning of Tower of Pisa. But Jill, the shocker to me was they knew five years in, this thing was on an unstable ground, and yet they persisted, and yet they kept building. They basically were like, eh, it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And they're only on the second story. And like some people would have been like, maybe we should build the tower somewhere else. And they're like, nope, <laughs> keep going. Well, in fairness, it's one of the world's biggest tourist attractions. Uh, so maybe they knew what they were doing. All right. I'll give it I'll give it to them, <laughs> apparently. But there is your random fact of the day. They knew it was leaning five years in 845 years ago. All right. Fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1944, the U.S. Forest Service created Smokey the Bear. Only you can stop forest fires. At the time, firefighters were fighting in World War II uh, among the soldiers. There was a fear of Japanese attacks on the West Coast that would lead to fires. And so they wanted to do everything they could to prevent forest fires because they didn't really have any firefighters. But of course, Smokey the Bear, iconic, and still they use him today. All right, on this day, a year later, 1945, the second atomic bomb dropped on Japan by the U.S. in World War II. That was over the city of Nagasaki. Uh, those of you who've watched Oppenheimer know the details on this. This was three days after the Hiroshima bomb. And so then they would drop the second bomb on Nagasaki. Six days later, on August 15th, the emperor would surrender. All right, on this day in 1974, Richard Nixon resigned at noon. We told you yesterday about his big speech. Gerald Ford would take over. What many people don't know, Jill, is that he immediately, when he does his big peace sign in the air, gets on the helicopter, turns around, he flew off to the presidential yacht. At that time, the U.S. president had a yacht. It used to exist. 
It would eventually get sold off by Jimmy Carter as the government needed money. It's currently in private hands being refurbished. They might turn it into a museum. But that's where Nixon spent his hours after resigning over on the yacht on the Potomac River. I can't say I blame him. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy the yacht. Enjoy the yacht. Well, you still can, Richard. All right. Finally, in a bit of pop culture news, 93 years ago today, we said hello to Betty Boop, who made her first appearance, the caricature of a jazz age flapper. Her image uh, first going public in 1930, one of the best known cartoon characters in the world. Boop, boop, be doop. A perfect sound effect to go out on (laughs) as we say thank you to AG1 for sponsoring On This Day in History. They have a special deal right now on their daily nutritional supplement. With your first purchase of the AG1 powder, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D, five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. That's where you can get a discounted monthly subscription and really start to take ownership of your health. All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. We'd be really grateful. It will help us grow and it might make you look smart. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And a reminder to join Mo News Premium. Uh, Join the masses, everybody. It's a way to support what we're doing here at Mo News. (laughs) Get access to our members-only podcast, members-only Instagram accounts where I answer questions every day about everything happening in the news, let you in behind the scenes on what's going on. You can do that over at mo.news slash premium. We have a special code right now, Mo News Trial, for a free 30-day trial. Uh, and also, if you join the annual subscription, you get two months for free. So check that out again at, over at mo.news. You guys, everybody's doing it. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> doing it. It's what the cool kids are doing. You'll get even more <laughs> historical the masses. and even smarter things to tell your friends at a party. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.